So the big question is this, how do entrepreneurial salespeople like us who have traditionally sold alone and used gut and intuition to hit their number, take their innate talents and begin selling using science, technology, and the secrets of thousands who have done it before to crush their quota and change the world? That is the question, and this podcast provides the answer. All right, welcome everybody to today's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about an industry that kind of, I feel like it popped up pretty recently, but there's some really cool players. One of them is a company called Chorus.ai. If you haven't heard about it, go check it out. Um, We're going to be talking about the space, how it came to be, why it's important, what it is, and how you should react to it. Down to do that, we brought on current CEO of Chorus.ai. That's Roy Renani. Um, Roy, how the heck are you? And thanks for joining. I'm doing well. I was the first CEO, and hopefully I'll be the current CEO for a while longer. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me on. That's right, man. I, I I hope as well. We may have to cut that out, Brian. That's one of those mistakes that I that I did. Anyways, Roy, appreciate you jumping on. Excited to dive into today's topic. Um, but before we do, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you guys do over there at Chorus? Uh, at Chorus. Sure thing. So I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Apologies if anybody has trouble understanding my accent, <laughs> but uh, moved out to the Bay Area in 2008 uh, and started the company in 2015. And the reason that we started it is because uh, I believe two things. Number one is that data-driven companies are going to outperform their peers. And number two is that customer-centric companies are going to outperform their peers. Hmm. And as more and more sales have moved inside, and obviously InsideSales.com was a huge driver of helping people uh, build the inside sales industry, uh, it became a lot easier to capture those activities that drive performance. And in every part of a business, you look at the things that drive performance, you measure them, you understand them, and you improve them. And of course, when it comes to anything customer-facing, the most important thing we can do is have an effective conversation with a prospect or a customer. And there's never been any data or any information of that black box in the hundreds and thousands of conversations that take place every day. And so Hmm. our approach was, let's help businesses realize that after people and after customers, their conversations are an asset. It's an asset to the business to know how your top performers are positioning your product. It's an asset to the business to know how they're positioning you versus one of your competitors. It's it's an asset to know how your top reps are creating urgency throughout the buying cycle in order to keep things going. Uh, And of course, it's an asset to let the product and marketing teams get access to what reps are hearing on the front Mm. lines each and every day so that they can better support you. Yeah, and uh, it was just really rare that in 2015 you could think that there's a uh, a data set or there's a part of business that is completely untapped, and those were conversations. So we built a platform to make it really easy to take all of your conversations that are happening in InsideSales.com and other platforms, uh, as well as um, video conferencing solutions like Zoom that we're using right now, uh, and understand what's happening at scale so that reps can win more business. I love it. I love it. I, I'm excited to kind of get in and hear a little bit more about it. But um, before we do, just sometimes I like to ask guests, 
outside of work, I mean, you've obviously, you know, you're running a successful business, um, which probably eats up most of your time. But outside <laughs> of work, any any passions, any crazy hobbies, any embarrassing moments you've had that you'd like to share with the audience? Who is Roy? Um, you know, give us something that humanizes you here. Well, let's see here. I'm a I'm a mediocre guitar player and drummer. So if anybody wants to stalk me on YouTube, you'll see some embarrassing videos. Oh, you're um, kidding. You actually have YouTube. Video. Okay. That takes, I'm a- not, yeah, I'm actually not joking. They're out there. Um, I think, you know, the thing that I enjoyed most, uh, before starting the business and before having kids, I have two young kids was going for road biking, uh, nice. rides. And so I used to do four or five hours a day on the weekends. I used to do, um, you know, six, seven day road trips down the coast, uh, down the California coast. Um, and ever since starting the business, it's pretty much it's chorus in my family. And, uh, I did pick up a Peloton. Uh, so shout out, I don't get paid for this, but it's an amazing, <laughs> Uh, it's really amazing. I think I've gotten 60 workouts in since the summer and those are 60 more workouts than I have had probably in the last year. (laughs) I thought you were going to say five years. That's good. At least it was just the last year. Congratulations, man. Well, that's appreciated. That's multiple. That's not just one. I thought you were going to go down the guitar thing, but, uh, it sounds like having the chill, having a couple kids though, is cut back on the biking. Is that, did I get that right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. If I get if I get thirty to forty five minutes in on uh, on the Peloton, I'm it's feeling good, good enough. Yeah, yeah. I I actually completely understand. I I just had got into biking, and then the wife said, "That's not going to happen anymore with the kids." So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you can you pick a? Yeah, my <laughs> wife told me, can you pick a hobby that doesn't require you to be gone for five hours? Yeah, that's exactly. Oh my goodness, I had the exact com- five hours on Saturday um, is not going to happen. So, um, but you know, I found other things. I now coach his little league soccer team and things like that. So you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, well, let's flip over. I want to get into this. You, you you did a fantastic introduction, obviously, of kind of the, the the place where chorus is playing. But if you just kind of take a step back, um, it, maybe double maybe double click on a little bit. Why why was this? Why did you see this as a place as a need in the market where you felt like I got to come in and provide something to solve a problem? Was there a, a, an aha moment? Was it something that you experienced that led you down the path of Oh my goodness, I need to make sure we open up this black box. What how, how did that kind of happen? Yeah, it's a really great question. It was it was a combination of two things. One was. Uh, I I did an engineering undergrad in Canada, Hmm. and the way that I put myself through school was working full-time for an enterprise software company as a remote inside rep. Uh, And so I was doing technical pre-sales, I was following up on emails, I was doing technical support, I was doing all that type of stuff, but I was on my own. And I I essentially figured out that it was extremely hard for me to get better. It was extremely hard for me to learn from other folks that were at headquarters. Uh, We had offices in the U.S. We had offices in Israel. Uh, It was very difficult for me to actually get better. And so I just felt like I was going to be as good as I was going to be. And that was going to be it. And that didn't feel very satisfying for me because I'm, I'm a really curious person. And I love learning how people that are world-class do things. Mm. Um, and so I spent four years uh, working with that company, amazing company, great friendships. Um, and then I spent eight years doing consulting and working with very, very large companies to improve their operations. And what I found was that anytime you want to improve the performance of something, you get the data, you dig into it, you understand what separates, you, you basically look for variability, 
And variability is, is generally an amazing place to, to look for opportunity because it means that sometimes when you do it, you do it really well. And sometimes mm-hmm. when you do it, you don't do it very well. Um, and when you dig into it, you can improve and you can learn. Um, and so when it came time to uh, starting a company, um, two things uh, really stood out. One was that in sales, there was no data. And yeah. it, was, it was a huge issue. Yeah. Um, you know, most of us will, will look at salesforce.com and say, um, you know, we don't trust the data because it's all manually entered uh, for the most right, part. Right. And, uh, and that makes it really difficult to learn anything and, and to improve. And so that was really the starting point. Um, and when we spoke to about 50 VPs of sales and CROs, the answer was, we just have no idea what it is that our top performers are doing. Uh, and we really do want to know because of the impact it would have on the business. Interesting. So you did kind of experience this first and foremost kind of firsthand. And then it was through some consulting experience, interviewing some top sales leaderships that there was this aha moment that we've got to open up the black box, get data into, into the hands of sales leaders so they can intelligently make decisions. That makes sense. So um, as we go from there, then th- this conversation around what is this idea? Do you, now, are you referring to, I saw in G2 Crowd, I believe they called it conversational intelligence. Is that kind of the market space that seems to be forming here? Quick, quick thoughts on that. That's right. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's amazing. When we so when I started the company uh, with my co-founders, I was actually living in Switzerland, and so oh, uh, we were we were outside of the Bay Area. Yeah, I married I married a Swiss woman, and we we moved to Switzerland for four years for oh, uh, for her role, and um, and so it was funny because. I flew out to the Bay Area to talk to investors. We closed our first round of funding, hmm. and nobody was talking about this at all. And then around the same time, a couple of companies popped up, all with a similar type of <laughs> yeah, vision. Crazy. Um, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you fast forward a couple of years, and it's you know it's a market, which yeah. is really exciting. Yeah, interesting. So they're they're kind of referring to this. I mean, it's early in its formation, but I've heard the term kind of conversational intelligence. And as you kind of dive specifically into this aspect of it, what are the key components? of conversational intelligence? Well, I think, I think that there are two parts to it. Um, the first part is, uh, at, at, its, at its most fundamental, we are capturing and analyzing the communication that reps are having with prospects and with customers, hmm. and we're analyzing it. Yeah. So that's the first part of it. Okay. Um, and so that part of the platform will automatically join your uh, video meetings. It'll capture the calls that are being placed in InsideSales.com and other platforms, and we'll use uh, algorithms to make sense of what's happening automatically. Hmm. And so that will tell you things like, um, are you talking too much? Are you engaging your prospects and the people in the meeting? Um, which key parts of your sales cycles were discussed in that meeting? And most importantly, we'll tie that to what top performers are doing and what a good conversation looks like given the stage and given your sales cycle Hmm. and what does a bad conversation look like. And that will provide you and your team with insights around what's working and what's not working. Interesting. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Do you feel like, I mean, conversation is a pretty big word. Um, uh, is there certain parts of the process that you believe companies should hone in on? And maybe it's to start. Maybe you'd say, Gabe, 
every conversation should probably be double clicked on. But I'm thinking as I think your, your comment of, you know, we're really trying to capture the prospect and, and sales rep interaction there. I mean, it's the initial prospecting aspect. You've got then the opportunity, you know, the different interaction that happened there, the demonstration in some cases, then you've got all, the whole customer um, mm-hmm. success interaction, right? Do you feel like there are areas that are more beneficial to, to kind of open up that black box to start? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that like anything, there's software and then there's results and software in and of itself doesn't deliver results. And hmm. so the way that I would, I, would, I would interpret your question is, what else does it take in order to drive results with software like this in an hmm. organization? And where do you start? Yeah. And from that perspective, you know, it, it's funny because so many people that are attracted to sales come from backgrounds where they had to develop deep, deep expertise in something. It might be athletics, it might be music, it might be, you know, playing an instrument, it might be a whole bunch of things. And we know that whenever we're doing those other things, we have to spend time practicing. We don't, you know, you don't just go on stage uh, and perform at a show without rehearsing. Hmm. Um, You don't just go to the Super Bowl or to the finals right away. You don't even go play games. You're putting in probably maybe 10 to 20 times the effort before you have a game um, in preparation. Hmm. And for whatever reason, once we got into sales and, and once we get into our professional lives, it's execute, execute, execute as if there's no time to sharpen the saw. Hmm. Um, and like so there's that. a great, you know, there's a, there's a really great story um, that, that somebody once shared with me, uh, an amazing sales trainer uh, that was talking about giving two people the same task, which is to chop down a tree. One person approaches the tree and picks up the axe and just starts chopping away, chopping away, chopping away, chopping away. Three hours later, they're exhausted. They're halfway through the tree. The other person gets up, looks at the problem, spends an hour sharpening the the axe, just sharpening the axe, and then starts chopping it down. And they cut down the tree in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, And so I think that the, the biggest thing that we're seeing with our customers is a transition from working, working, working to Hmm. let's actually take a step back. Let's think about what's working. Let's review what's working. Let's share best practices so that, you know, Gabe, if you're a rep that's amazing at positioning insidesales.com against a specific competitor, let's really understand what it is that you're doing that's so effective in the field so we can all learn from it. And if I'm somebody that's really good at creating urgency in a buying cycle and uncovering those compelling events to generate timing, uh, that we're going to work against. How does everybody else learn from the way that I do that? Yeah. Um, and that's really what I think we're, uh, we're seeing. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, I love the, the sharpening of the sword and it, that seems to be in this whole kind of sales technology, Landscape, a message I'm hearing more and more. You know, it isn't just about working harder, harder, harder. And truthfully, for a while, and I think we helped push that, you know, it was more like, how do we just get productivity up, right? That definitely seems to be switching and not just, you know, with us, I think across the board. How do we still work hard, but just in generally work smart? So I think that. I assume that resonates with a lot of leaders. How do you answer? I want to get into a couple maybe best practices, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people are falling in love with, um, you know, forms of communication where um, the conversation, you know, diminishes. And you've heard millennials love emails and the phone is dead and things like that. Um, 
I think there's probably plenty of reasons to combat that, but do you believe that the conversation is starting to die and move into chats and emails and you lose lose a lot of goodness because people aren't talking with each other? How do you respond to that uh, th- that question? Oh man, it's a it, it's it's a hard question, and I wish I wish that there was more concrete data that I could point to because yeah. otherwise it's just opinions. But yeah. um, what I believe is that there's a role for every form of communication depending on your buyer and depending on where they are in the buyer's journey. And what I can say is that marketing is obviously playing an increasingly important role in order to educate people. I think that social proof is becoming increasingly important, uh, especially in uh, the sales world. That may not be as relevant if you're selling into HR, if you're selling into finance Hmm. um, and other functions. But, um, but, you know, it's all about understanding your buyer. Um, and I, I think that in the early days of a sales cycle, if somebody were to text me, I'd get extremely, uh, like, I don't want to say insulted, but I'd be like, this is, this feels really uncomfortable that you're texting me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if, if we've had a couple face-to-face zoom meetings and there's good rapport there and we're seriously evaluating the solution and the sales rep wants to text me, that's a great way to get yeah, a hold of me. There's a place and for everything. Yeah, Exactly. And so I think that what we're seeing is that there are different communication channels at different parts of the buying cycle that work. Um, and it's about understanding what works for your buyer and meeting them there. I like that. No, I mean, I think you just bringing up zoom. I mean, I, I, I felt like in some people's minds, you could argue, you know, this phone, like people are moving a little away from the phone, but the ability to capture the video conversation and how much more is going there, I think opens up a whole new avenue. So, um, I think there's plenty of ways to still definitely capture the conversation. If I may really quickly, just, just building on that, like one of the things that we were talking about before the show started was, very specific, um, actionable changes that people can make that yeah. will help them um, win more business. And mentioning Zoom, Zoom is one of our customers, yeah. and we we uh, do joint research hmm. on the data that we're seeing in the millions of um, Zoom meetings that are going through the platform. And one of the things that we found was that when you keep your video on and get the prospect to keep to turn their video on win rates go up by 9% on average. Interesting, really. I hadn't so, seen that. So why, I mean, do, you, make, why do you think Yeah, sense, why do, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly because if you don't have video, they're not even listening. That would probably be my quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, or I'm not listening unless I'm forced. Exactly. It's yeah, funny. It's one of the reasons. Some, just going to do some text messages right now. Yeah. Well, no, in all seriousness, it's funny because I actually, with this podcast, I we used to just do audio, but I found myself being so offensive to some people. I actually had somebody call me out because I was like, they could tell that I was multitasking. <laughs> so the videos kept me, and it's, and it's way more engaging. And yeah. so I actually listen yeah. and focus. Eyes so, up here, I'm up here. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's truth to that, right? There's truth. Um, so I like that. I like that. Well, let me let me kind of end with this question. I mean, it sounds like you've studied a lot of data and you've gotten into some of the details. If you've got people who are just starting to explore this themselves, what are, what, what's a tip or two that's kind of actionable that you'd say, you know, as we've studied, I, I love that video one. I, I guess we've already got one. Get your people on video because if you can engage in that aspect, you're going to have better close rates. Is there other things you found around opening that black box of conversations that you could pass to the audience? Yeah. And I'll, I'll start with the ones that I think you can change from one day to the next. Um, because, uh, obviously some other things take a lot more, a lot more effort and work. Um, the first one that we found has a really big impact 
is multi-threading. Okay. So uh, obviously, when we talk about multi-threading, everybody knows that there are many people involved in a buying decision, and you want to get time with each one of them. What we found was that a top predictor of a closed loss deal is having only one-on-one -on -one meetings. Okay. So if you have three meetings, one with the VP of sales, one with the director of sales ops, and one with a sales manager, that is likely not to close. If you can get all three of them in the same room oh. and then get them to have the conversation amongst themselves. So turn into somebody that's actually facilitating the buying conversation internally. I love Get that. them to talk about those challenges around, well, who's going to do what? And you know, what are the issues that we're going to have for the rollout? All those things. Get them in the same room. That makes a huge difference. So if you're, only, if you're finding that you can only get one person in a meeting in a, at a time and they're unwilling to make the time to get together to talk to you about it, that's not a great sign. And it. think about how you can untangle it. Oh, that's different, right? I mean, I, I thought you were going to say, you know, it's just important to actually get all three of them and get the message. But getting them in the same room at the same time, yeah, that's different. Interesting. And getting, and getting them talking. So that's, mm -hmm. that's tip number one. Okay. And tip number two is around pricing. Um, and what we did was we looked at what is the pricing conversation that leads to discounts? Mm -hmm. Because discounts are a huge, like if you're looking at a way that you can help close the gap on your quota, the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to decide to buy and to, get, and to decide to buy you. So the question becomes, how do you maximize the price at which you sell? Yeah. And what we found was that qualifying language around price leads to a lot more discounting. So what do I mean by that? Qualifying language around pricing. Okay. Right. So if you so basically think of it as the fewer words you use to talk about price, the better off you are. So if you were to say, you know, if I were to ask you, Gabe, you know, what would it cost me for 50 seats of insidesales.com? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you told me, well, Roy, our list price is X dollars a seat. That's when bad. a buyer hears list price, they're immediately thinking, well, wait a minute, nobody pays list. <laughs> so what am I going to get? Right. So my list price, my standard price, well, we generally price at and then you start qualifying it more and more and more. Oh, that's yeah. going to that's going to yeah. lead the prospect to believe that there's flexibility in the pricing. <laughs> and so so short, sweet to the point is the way to go on pricing. Is that what I'm hearing? That's it. I love it. I love it. It's funny because as a sales rep, we hate silence. Right? I mean, I think, I, well, you could probably validate that, but it, my, my typical understanding is, is we hate silence. And so when that price conversation comes up, I just want to keep talking, you know, because I'm embarrassed to have a blank in the conversation. And it sounds like that leads to potential damage. So interesting. So we got three tips. So we got the Zoom. I really liked um, this last one where we go a little bit into the pricing. Um, and then the, the middle one of really trying to understand how we can navigate that conversation just a little bit more effectively. Interesting. Well, Roy, I know our time's short here. Um, great conversation. I think the audience will love it. If someone wants to take some time and learn a little bit more about Chorus, some of the things you guys do, what's the best way to do that? Well, best thing to do is head over to our website. You can request a demo if you want to take a look. We do offer proof of concepts, which are amazing for a lot of teams because 
you know, you don't know what you don't know until you flip the switch and you start getting some of those insights out. Um, And so in a lot of situations, we can actually pay for the product during the POC process because of some of the insights that we find. Hmm. Um, And some of them are pretty fun and surprising. Um, And number two, if you liked some of the research that I talked about, you can head over to our blog and sign up. Uh, And then those insights will get delivered to your inbox uh, no more than once a month. We try to keep it pretty lean and and high impact. And we also share all these insights on LinkedIn. So if you want to head over to LinkedIn and follow chorus.ai, you'll get to see how other folks are using conversation intelligence to crush their numbers and get access to some of the research that we publish. I love it. Love it. We'll make sure for the audience to put that in the show notes. Again, Roy, really appreciate the conversation. Excited to dive into conversational intelligence. And for the audience, remember, success is just one play away. Want more sales secrets? Go to salessecrets.io to receive copies of our latest research and best practice content to help you crush your quota.